This is Winging It, the somewhat whimsical, certainly worrying, decidedly wonky, seldom weighty, endlessly well-intentioned, and wildly witty show about music, where one knows what's coming and the other doesn't. It happens in between both proper to ensure you can spend anywhere from 15 to 180 minutes with us every week. So, you know, 15 minutes, not too bad. 180 minutes, maybe more than you want, but you know what? Try it. Don't knock it till you try it, at least. That's what I have to say. So this one, I think, is a pretty uh, pretty big one. It's not really weighty, but it's uh, interesting. I should have probably put that as part of our introduction, because it's fucking interesting, this shit, don't you think? Yo, you left that up? Yeah, oh. I don't... Wildly interesting, maybe that should be part of Galer- it. Well, I think the other things... I think it's strongly implicit in the other, uh, you know... Uh, boasts as it were true true yeah. i think you're right yeah. i think i just didn't want to overdo it like yeah, i want to lay it yeah. on too thick yeah we get it you're witty you're interesting you're, yeah, yeah that yeah, kind of thing okay got it all right fair enough well you know it is a somewhat a, somewhat of a struggle every week and i just want to be honest with all of you that um i have to come up with new shit yeah yeah and stuff that's interesting hopefully right and uh to date the winging it that has the most downloads is the scariest bands of all time. Really? Yeah, so I keep thinking, well, shit, how am I going to meet that? Well, I'm thinking that maybe this one perhaps will do the trick because it's interesting and everybody will have a favorite. So you ready to know? Are you dying to know? Are you aching to know? I'm ready blank, a blank slate. Okay, perfect. We're going to talk about some, not all, some of the greatest concept albums in rock history. Now, there's a solid subject. I mean, really? I mean, there's Kids, there's so many. You need to be you need to tune into this. Concept albums. Concept I mean, albums. they're unfortunately kind of a thing that's going by the wayside. There's something that's kind of, you know, going the way of the dinosaur. No, I'm not saying anything rude, sir, of course, cuz yeah. I know you call yourself dinosaur. Um, but uh concept albums are a big deal and they're brilliant. And actually one of the more recent concept albums is the first one we're going to talk about, which is American Idiot Green ah. Day. So, you know, this is one that, you know, <laughs> it's a, a great concept album, album that happened even before Y2K. Imagine that. Uh, it was before streaming was a thing. And uh, it's it's a very interesting album. Now, you've heard this album, right? A great, great album. Actually, a, a couple of the tracks from it, and I know it to be a concept album. Mm-hmm. I just, and I've read uh, not that long ago a sketchy description of the concept itself. But I don't have any any sense of it as a whole, as I do other concept albums, no. Well, great. Let me share a little bit about it. And by the way, this information and this great little concept um, is brought to you by whatculture.com. So thank you to them for another fascinating uh, featurette, if you will. Can I say featurette? Yeah, and I think, obviously, being on this show, your hits are going to go through the roof. You're welcome. That's true. Of course. Yes, you're welcome. So, basically, after seeing the horrendous political climate that was happening at the time, he channeled all of his frustration, that being, you know, Billy Joe Armstrong, into what functioned as a look at what the kids on the street were thinking at the time. Again, you know, this is his thought. And uh, we pick up on the tales of people like What's-Her-Name and St. Jimmy, and there are a lot of connections to modern life, whether it be dependency on, like, being numb, like give me Novocaine, right? You yeah. may be familiar with that. And the media. Yeah. And there's a Jesus of suburbia in there, right? <laughs> I seem to remember something about that. Yes. Or people taking Wake Me Up When September Ends as a reaction to 9-11. What no one expected, though, was this particular album um, would just be this amazing thing that, number one, became a Broadway musical, as we probably know. It did, yes. A very good musical. I'm dying to see it. I've seen clips of it, and Melissa Etheridge actually was in some early versions of 
that Broadway musical. She did American that, Idiot. Oh, wow. Is that incredible? So uh, some of these songs uh, functioned as nine-minute exercises. You know, obviously one great hook after another. That is something that Green Day is known for is their hookiness. If they're, the pop sensibilities are through the roof. Amazing band. Really, really good. I mean, if you didn't think you liked punk, listen to Green Day. You probably do. Uh, you know, honestly, Green Day stands as an oh, example. There are many, you know, that, that punk is actually, you know, still there are people still doing good punk that's poppy like the Ramones. Mm-hmm. And uh, But then there are a lot of schlock punk out there to me. That's like true. Blink-182, I don't like. <laughs> poor Blink-182, I just man. don't. Uh, it's I like gave the 40th him, time you just. Really? Yeah, you just and, and I must have mentioned Bowling for Soup, too. Oh, for and, sure. Yeah, Absolutely. Okay. Never mind. Yeah. Let's move on. <laughs> That's okay. They deserve a repeated pummeling, apparently. Um, So, you know, this is kind of, I guess, what happens, this being American Idiot, is what happens when you have all this pent-up anger, right? So it's kind of a day in the life from what he perceives to be what kids must be thinking during that time. And I do think it's relevant. I think it's relevant now. I think it's relevant in any political climate. And what what climate isn't political? Some more than others, some more difficult than others. But, I mean, obviously, if you're thinking about 9-11, I mean, you couldn't get more of a political time than that. It was polarizing. It was difficult. And I've never been one to uh, quibble about relevance because some of the most entertaining... You know what's relevant to me? Entertainment. That's true. So if you entertain me, I don't give a shit what it's about. I mean, it could be something... Is, is Greece relevant? No. I mean, is Tommy relevant? No, of course not. You know? Yeah, that's, it's the who that did that, yeah, so it makes yeah. sense. It's not But relevant. I mean, a lot of things aren't. Uh, right. But uh, maybe... I w- and, and are, I can't believe I'm saying this, but American Idiot probably is more relevant than any of those. So I agree. Yeah. I mean, and I think it is kind of universal. Like, it's, it's kind of for everybody. It doesn't matter... You know, how old you are, how young you are, what your political affiliation is. It's just outrage in general about what's going on. And I think we all kind of feel that, mm-hmm. you know. So I think it's kind of universal. So I think concept albums are important. You know, they have really a theme and they're going somewhere and they have a message or they have a thought process or they have an idea. And I think it's really powerful. I mean, music is, again, as you know, everyone says, and it's cliche, but the universal language. We all respond to music of some sort. And I think this is another way is by creating a concept album to channel all of your frustration, your anger, maybe even your dreams, your desires. And, and I think, as you said, concept albums kind of fell by the wayside because I, I think that over time people have come to look upon them as pretentious mm-hmm. and, you know, kind of like uh, they're kind of scoffed because some of them have been kind of silly. Indulgent, maybe. Yeah, even. indulgent. Yeah. And, uh, you know, some of them are like, oh, come on. That's a whole lot of Who do you much think ado you about are? nothing. Yeah, exactly. I actually toyed with the idea myself. I swear, Octane handed me this slew of songs and I thought, this is going to be a concept EP and thank God it didn't turn out that way but uh, yeah so I get the temptation and uh, sometimes that's probably one of the more successful recent examples there's another that I'm not familiar with so I probably shouldn't say anything about it and you probably won't ask me because you know I don't know it but I think (laughs) I think Welcome to the Black Parade isn't that a concept album? It is but I did not include that because I didn't think you'd know it yeah I've been thinking about listening to it because I've heard some of it and it seems pretty good it is is actually pretty darn good I I don't want to lie to you I've listened to all of it but what I have heard is really good so let's take a look at the next concept album the downward spiral nine inch nails i don't think you're surprised that this showed up are you i'm i didn't know it was a concept album so there i'm surprised about that oh interesting well do let me tell you some stories and i have it and i've heard it all the way through Mm -hmm. but not thinking of it in those terms and it was a while ago well part of the appeal of the rock opera is just how the listener gets to look into someone else's head and obviously clearly this is a look inside a very disturbed but uh, brilliant mind i'd say and so since all you have is the music to work with you're getting a complete story with different characters and their reflection of what the singer is trying to tell you 
Right. So um, after having gone through the touring life of Pretty Hate Machine, which is another album that I absolutely love, he was becoming more desensitized by the minute and made this record as a display of everything ugly in his soul. Nice. So um, it definitely, you definitely get that he's in a very dark place. And I don't mind going to people's dark places. I really don't have any issues with that. But following the tale of someone named Mr. Self-Destruct, so go listen to the music because it's, and all these little concepts in it. We see this guy tear himself into pieces in some respects, either trying to find solace and carnal love, right? So sex on closer, right? Let me mm-hmm. fuck you like an animal. Or eventually trying to commit suicide near the halfway point of the record. So when he was finally finished with the record, he went so far as to apologize to the label for making it because it was so dark and thinking that there's no way that it would take off. It's vulgar. It's dark. It's creepy. It's sinister. It's taboo, right? It's got all of those those things. And uh, obviously, it went through the roof. So it really is, again, going through this self-destruct phase with Mr. Self-Destruct. Yeah, and that was around the time it was pretty cutting edge at the time, if I recall. For sure. It was around the time when that kind of thing was sort of coming into vogue, when suddenly we had the Marilyn Mansons, and we had the Trent Reznors, and we had all these people saying shit that nobody said before, and was really, you know, it was just like, wow, this is laying it all bare, really ugly stuff and everything. Well, let me but, let me uh, say this. Hmm? The goth scene has been saying some of this stuff for a while, but it doesn't, not this plainly and not commercially, does that make sense? Right, right. Sometimes the goth community does accept him. Sometimes they say, oh, he's not one of ours. So I I don't know exactly, but the goth community was saying it, but not brilliantly and not commercially in this way. I mean, this thing blew up. So Mr. Self-Destruct did not self-destruct, actually. (laughs) He's catapulted to the top of the charts. MTV was a very good friend to Nine Inch Nails. Absolutely. Very good friend to Nine Inch Nails. And just that, that, uh, I think he's daring, and I think he doesn't give a shit. And I think he's just going to go balls out. And if you like it, great. And if you don't, okay. I don't give a shit. So I think there's something kind of amazing about that. And I think that's a concept album thing as well. This is coming from a guy who I believe said... Uh, I tried antidepressants, but I don't want to be artificially happy, so uh, <laughs> I'll just be me. You know? I'll just be me, and there is a, therein lies the lesson, I think, folks. <laughs> Take the meds. Yeah. Take yeah, the meds. Either just be yourself, but of course, if you're Trent Reznor, maybe you just want to be somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> Take the meds. Take them. All right. Onward and upward. Now to... Ziggy Stardust. Oh, wow. <laughs> David Bowie. So in the grand tradition of rock theatrics, right? David Bowie certainly belongs in the conversation of the greatest of all time. I mean, I think we can all say that. I feel like almost every album he does in some ways is a concept album. I mean, think of Black Star, right? Yeah. Even the last, his last thing, you know, his the last thing he puts out to the world is also, in my opinion, a concept album. Maybe he wouldn't call it that, but I think he would. Um. Though not every album, again, like you know, like we said, it's not seemed kind of conceptual, but isn't. Uh, they were always about making new characters. You know, if you think about it, from Major Tom, mm-hmm. right, to the Thin White Duke, right, right, who threw darts in lovers' eyes on station to station, right. You got Love, that? One of my all-time favorites. Yes, and of course, Aladdin Sane, who was he said was Ziggy in America. Mm-hmm. So that's right. So he road tested a handful of songs after touring the U.S. and he came up with the idea of Ziggy Stardust being the ideal rock star, having mm. the pale skin, obviously, right, the complexion, Snow White tan. That's right. <laughs> That's right, and arriving 
to the to save the planet from imminent destruction, right? Of course, you know. So it makes sense. And compared to all the album, all the, uh, compared to all the other albums on this list, this record feels like its own little world. Of course, Starman, Moonage Daydream, blah blah blah. Right. So we've got that space theme, that you know, kind of ET theme. And there are also bits and pieces of the record that became, you know, emblematic of the styles of rock going forward. Right. We're talking about glam Mm -hmm. right think about it i mean really glam but that gender bending thing too i think as well you know androgyny you know all that kind of stuff i think that he gave people permission to do that more not that he was the only person or the first but i think because kind of like trent reznor no one ever thought that that would be a big hit i don't know that other people had the permission to go there before bowie did it right and he did it so beautifully so by the time the final curtain closes on rock and roll, I'm sorry, on rock and roll suicide, you've been treated to one of the greatest pieces of musical theater that the rock world has to offer. And I would tend to agree. What say you, huge David Bowie fan? Yeah, and this is one that uh, there are a few of his somewhere in the middle albums that I might have missed, although an increasingly short, uh, shorter list because mm-hmm. I'm catching up. That's right. But Ziggy Stardust, of course, that one I know from 70, 72, 73, around when it was pretty brand new when I got exposed to that record. And that is one of the, well, it's the only album I can think of where the first track and the last track uh, make me cry every time I hear them. Aww. It starts with five Love years. It. And it's it's not you know right, the the news news guy comes on and tells him the earth is dying in five years it's over in five years right and the way the lines he delivers and the the passion that he I mean it just chokes me up every time I hear it and then it ends with rock and roll suicide yes and forget about it I'm going you're, to pieces every single time you it's know over. oh no love you're not you're not alone forget it I, I just can't stand it and as you said there's some superb. Uh, you know, absolute gold standard glam on there, like Hang On to Yourself and Star, not Starman, Star. Star, different. I mean, a fabulous wreck. Suffragette City, that was one. We, we yes. numb skulls, we numb nuts tried to play in our basement bands. Right on. And, uh, you know, uh, just, it's an indescribable record. I mean, there's so much soul love. I mean, there's so much on there that's just uh, fantastic. Uh, and some of it did sound a little bit better later on when his voice deepened. But even with the the vocal that he was delivering at the time, it's just a, it's an irreplaceable record. Though I do got to say, give him a couple more years and do him live, and Rock and Roll Suicide is, is infinitely better. Soul Love is better, but the album, you know, there's no knock in it. It's a classic. Absolutely, and what a great character and what a great concept and a successful one as well. And again, maybe if you'd looked at it and somebody had said, "Hey, David, we have this concept of Ziggy Stardust," you'd have been like, "Hell no, that's not going to do anything." You know, and, you and know? the band becomes embittered against him because he becomes the. Sp- I mean, what a, a, a telling <laughs> couple of lines! How how pithy he could be. Uh, Became the special man. Then we were Ziggy's band. It's like, damn! All of a sudden, bam! You're just you're just his support players in That's the eyes right. of the public, and you know. So we bitched about his fans, and should we crush his sweet hands? I mean, it's very, very. I mean, his command of word, his command of the language, and his use of words is just uh, razor sharp. I mean, he's just an amazing. Absolutely, and I'm sorry we lost him, but we again will always have the music. So this one is not going to surprise you. You're sitting down. I see that. So yeah. that's good. Tommy, the Who. No. (laughs) (laughs) All of the greatest rock operas have still found themselves in the rock category every now and again. Though you have people borrowing from the tradition of real classic composers, of course, the emphasis has been on the rock side and less on the opera part of things. So, as I say that, are you feeling like this particular one, Tommy, do you feel like it was more on the opera side than the rock side, or do you feel like they were equal? 
It's definitely equal. It's uh, it's as much rock as anything else, and it's um, it's one of those things that's just. It also has become a movie and a, a stage yeah. play and everything else, and it's done every couple of years. They'll go on tour and do it again I with know. an orchestra. I mean, I saw them do twenty five minutes of the damn thing, which was great, of course. But honestly. Tommy is great, but I saw the Who do the first 25 minutes with an orchestra, and then I thought, oh, good, it's all uphill from here, because they started the concert with that, and as much as I loved it, everything else is better, um, It's but it is classic. I just don't think it's the best thing the Who's ever done, but is it sort of the, uh, I don't know, the prototype uh, rock opera? It's pretty close, yeah. Yeah, well... I think that Pete Townsend agrees with you because he knew the potential of rock to last for more than just three minutes. He assembled a complete double album's worth of material that told the tale of a deaf, dumb, and blind boy, as we know, who can't communicate with anyone and has borderline addictive relationship to pinball. Hmm. Yeah, interesting thing about that. I probably mentioned it on another show, but uh, Pete, that was never part of the story. The the story, the, the opera was deemed to be too religious, you know, and too God, too much about God and not rock. You know, and and uh, so, but Townsend inserted the uh, the irreplaceable pinball angle because now, I mean, it's it's uh, that's the first thing you think of almost when you it's think of true. Tommy. I do. I mean, uh, because he wrote the song "Pinball Wizard" to impress some record impresario who liked pinball. Seems to have worked. And the band says, "Hey, that's a hit," and it became Tommy's thing. And of course, in the movie, he's played by Elton John, the Pinball Wizard. So, um, but the whole, I mean, and there's some really demented stuff in there, some really twisted characters, which were uh, written by John Entwistle, Uncle Ernie, and Cousin Kevin. I mean, it's just, it's really kind of fucked up, you know, but um, uh, I don't, I almost don't understand the appeal of it, but then again, I do, so. Yeah, I think, you know, I think that's the thing about Tommy is, I think there are elements in it that people could really relate to. Um, the borderline, you know, addictive personality or dis- addictive relationship to pinball. I mean, think about it. Everyone's addicted to something in some way, right? I mean, whatever it is, cigarettes, I'm going to say caffeine. Mm-hmm. I mean, so I think we all see ourselves in the story. And it's a simple story of somebody who I think felt misunderstood, who couldn't communicate, literally couldn't. But I think we feel like we sometimes don't have the ability to communicate as well as we want to or as well as we wish that we could and so i think we can all see ourselves in the story to some degree so i think that maybe also helped it and then in addition to the fact that it's that 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 little bit of you know opera and a little well, rock opera and rock yeah and i suppose if i were to look i never thought about it that way but Everybody can relate to, okay, I can't communicate, but I'm really good at this one thing. That's right. Which, in Tommy's case, was pinball. That's Uh right. And if you think of a lot of autistic kids and stuff, they're really good at something like, I'm really good at math. I'm really good at playing this video game. I'm really good at spelling. I'm really good at whatever in the world it is. There is something that they can hang their hat on. Counting cards in Vegas. Exactly. Right. (laughs) Counting cards. Exactly. So I think that it is relatable. I do think that. So I I think there's a lot in this that made it successful. And again, Pete Townsend's a great songwriter. I just Mm -hmm. don't want the Muppet singing it. That's one of the big things. But uh, absolutely. So I think Tommy was a tide shifter that made rock sound like more than just party music. I think it like added that depth to it. And I, I agree that it did. Still not my favorite band by any stretch but i do think that that this really accomplished what they set out to accomplish yeah and pete townsend had uh, already pushed the boundaries a little bit earlier in who's career with uh, the title track of the a quick one while he's away mm. uh which was like a you know a seven minute song or whatever yeah. with like three or four different parts which 
no, it was unheard of at it the time. Was, yeah. And uh, so he thought, okay, I'm going to do that. And, and wow, nobody's who's going to want to hear this? It was like the Bohemian Rhapsody of its time. And uh, then uh, he's then, of course, he went full bore with uh, uh, to- uh, Tommy. And it worked. Yeah. And it worked, worked better a couple of years later with Quadrophenia, but that's just my opinion. Hey, <clears throat> I'll take it. So this one's going to be near and dear to your heart, Sergeant Pepper's The Beatles. Yeah. I mean, so obviously at the genesis of rock and roll concept albums, they weren't really a thing. If anything, most rock albums were just a collection of singles that were padded out with a bunch of filler to make enough time for the LP's worth of material. I'm telling you right now, that was the truth. Even though I'm somebody who likes to listen to it from beginning to end, there's plenty of filler in most albums. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah, and I'll listen to it. I will too. But you know what you go, up filler, up filler, you know. So they wrote these, you know, eight songs and then they had to have four more songs. (laughs) And so they kind of threw them in there. So once the Fab Four decided to leave touring life for good, Paul McCartney got a brilliant idea where to go from there. And so Bourne was Sgt. Pepper's. So... It was sort of an alter ego for the group, as we could see, you know, from the video and everything and their their apparel and everything. Uh, gave them a freedom to write anything they wanted to so that they didn't feel so boxed into whatever the Beatles sound was, right? They felt like they could do something different, although I don't think it was super different. Maybe for them it felt different at the time. Right. There isn't anything that they hadn't exactly done before. Right. And I never thought of it as a concept album, like all of it being about the same things. It's just, and the Sgt. Pepper's band thing is sort of a wraparound anthology type thing they're telling us different stories i don't think they're related however they all do seem to have i never thought about this have to do with ordinary people i mean nothing to say but what a day how's your boy been good morning good morning uh, she's leaving home and uh, just a day in the life it's all yeah. of that there isn't any magical mystery tour type stuff here right it's very down to earth it was 1967 and that was uh a lot of bands were putting out albums that were pretty psychedelic, and this was musically, but the themes are actually very relatable to everybody, which is kind of different for the time. A lot of a lot of bands were doing uh, kind of surrealistic, uh, uh, expressionist stuff, and this is a very, for the Beatles especially, this is a really relatable album for everybody, for the common man on the street, um, with the fantastical angle only being the, the band itself. I don't think the songs are related, but it's uh, it all works so well together. It really does, as crazy as it is. Within You, Without You, this Eastern thing with the sitar, and then that's we right. get When I'm 64 next. I think that's the genius of the Beatles, is that they can sell that kind of stuff. Absolutely. And I think it was meant to be a concept album, but maybe not in a, in a traditional sense, if you will. But I do think it was meant to be, maybe it's an every man, every woman sort of an album, like you were saying. Oh, yeah, very, like, very consistently. Yeah. Absolutely. So once a day in the life reaches this great climax, and it wasn't just an ordinary rock album anymore. Like, there's some peaks, and I agree with this, that there's some peaks in it, and that was one of these big climaxes. It's where rock and roll, they say, became a more intellectual style of music whose songs could be looked at as works of art. And I think that, you know, I do think that not just this album, but concept albums in general are works of art seen in a different way. It's still music. They still stand on their own. But when put together, it's this amazing, crazy quilt. <laughs> it's a crazy quilt. It's like a motion picture without visuals. Yes. It is, you know, it's it's like a play uh, so it's just like an opera. It's exactly like an opera. Absolutely. And that's why you know some of them are called rock operas. Uh, exactly. That one usually isn't, but like right. Tommy, for example. But there are some very notable concept albums that I'm sure will be coming up. We shall see. And last but certainly not least is The Wall. 
No, you don't say. <laughs> Pink Floyd. And I'm not saying this is the last one. This is just, I just had to pick a smattering so we can talk about them. But I don't have enough time to go through all of them. There are a lot of other great concept albums. These are just a few. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, how do you distill the greatest concept record of all time into one album? Well... Since every single one of these concepts have their own set of goals, what's the use in saying that one holds more water than any other? If you really think about it, though, it's not about whether one is better than the other. It's about how much of a world they're able to create in their music. And one of the things that I think that they've certainly done is create a completely different world. I think Pink Floyd created this alternate universe. And we all had to, like, learn you know, how to enter this place and how to navigate it. I mean, it's a very, you know, disconcerting album to me. It's very good. I love the album, but it's not to make you feel comfortable. I don't think it's like a relaxing, comfortable place. I think it's meant to kind of be disruptive. So again, why, what is this about? Well, becoming jaded with touring life, there's a theme here. Mm -hmm. Roger Waters came up with the idea for The Wall as a commentary on the separation between the band and the audience, right? Telling the story of the rock star Pink, getting more and more fed up with his life. From the minute the album starts, the scope of the record is absolutely passive, setting up an overture with the thin ice and showing Pink getting more and more isolated in his own mind. It's really interesting to hear all of these bad stories about touring because people like me and people like you dream about touring. Yeah. And to hear, you know, that that touring gets to be too much. I mean, think about it. You keep thinking, oh, I'm going to play, for example, I'm going to just say it. Um, I'm going to play In Summation, you know, 600 times in the next 20 years. Sounds crazy to me. Right. But then it all sounds amazing to me. And, I, and to think, oh, if I don't play that song because it's the hit song then they're going to be mad at me and I have to go out every night because I've sold 100,000 tickets. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I, you think of that and you go, okay, I'm a, I become a slave to it, right? And then I also become a slave to my fans who need to get what they want, right? Because they're keeping me afloat and I love doing music and now it's supporting my life. It's It's got to feel like a very vicious cycle. So this is definitely not the first concept album on this little short list to speak about the difficulty of touring life. You know, and uh, obviously not from personal experience, but I can understand that. I can completely relate to that and understand that because the average person in the street who doesn't, you know, expend a lot of thought would say, oh, yeah, poor guy. I feel so sorry for him. All that money and all that fame. No, I I absolutely pity the hell out of celebrities and famous people for the lives that they lead because the privacy they don't have, the intrusiveness of the public who thinks they own them, and um, the or it the, feels like they know them, or feel like they know them, and they don't, and they don't, and the demands that are placed on them and everything, and it has to now some some guys just roll with it. There That's are a few right. guys for like the Rolling Stones. I was going to say the Rolling Stones. Fucking years, yeah. they don't have to do this anymore. They keep doing it, and you you look at them for three seconds, and you know they're having the time of their lives That's every right. time they're on the stage. That's right. And there are a lot of people. It's just like you know, I got to do this to pay the bills, and uh, I got to do this as obligations, this and that. Right. But uh, and I can understand becoming burned out with it. Absolutely. Uh, as uh, as the the character Pink, and uh, you know, and some people just uh, their egos can't handle fame and, and the drugs and the you know and the. And then you the, become a dick like mani- Roger Waters too. And so, they've yeah. done a number of uh, a number of works about. Uh, the music industry and manipulation, yeah. and money, and uh, wish you and uh, not wish you were here, and have a cigar, yeah. and all this <laughs> stuff. So this is uh, this is no new theme to them. So uh, and I can I can understand that. I'm not going to say, oh yeah, poor guy. I mean, no, I I, I do 
know how I, I can yeah I empathize with how that could be too much absolutely well the good news is this tale uh, of redemption really is what it ends up being um, is that pink overcomes all these demons and wants to tear down the wall he built to go back to or resume normal life so you kind of watch him go through all of this and I guess, you know, kind of, I guess at the end of it, at the moral of the story is, yeah, you can build up a wall, but at the end of the day, you have to still connect with people. And especially as an artist, that's your whole goal. That's what you want to do is you want your music to speak to people and connect with people. So it's very, very interesting. I think that this is certainly considered the quintessential, you know, and, and the, you know, I, I, the piece de resistance, if you will, the thing, the the pinnacle of all concept albums for obvious reasons because it really does take you on a journey and of course then we have the wall the actual you know the whole thing so you can watch the wall and actually go through it and the the demented shit (laughs) it's amazing i have never seen it uh you're talking about the movie yeah yeah, because i mean i understand the stage presentation was pretty big with the wall oh for sure building a literal wall yes and you know the the characters and flying around and you know if you can't eat your meat you that's if you don't eat your meat you can't have any pudding which seems to me (laughs) that's pretty reasonable if you ask me fairly reasonable yes i agree so that brings us to the end of our short discussion about some of the greatest rock concept albums of all time, certainly. Uh, yours may not be included on this list. And David, I'm sure there are many that we didn't get to that you thought of. Uh, but this, again, is just supposed to be winging it a short, uh, a short journey, if you will, into mm-hmm. a topic. So, A any- slightly swollen version of Bird Banter. Correct, yeah. exactly. Anything else you'd like to add or any other concept albums you thought would make this short list but didn't? Well, uh, when people are sitting around talking about what does it mean, then it isn't Kestrel clear. Uh, <laughs> it isn't. <laughs> and, but, and it doesn't have to be. Now, there are ones that are, are clear, like, uh, for example, Quadrophenia is clearer than Tommy, but not that much. Right. And um, it's uh, pretty dark. They're both pretty dark. Right. But uh, concept albums uh, are a, a great thing when they're done right. And even when the concept doesn't quite hold it together, you hear as long as the songs are good, you don't really give a shit, right? You know, so uh, yeah, if it's laughable, it's ridiculous. Like <clears throat> Kiss, the Elder, for example. Um, <laughs> hey, you know, <laughs> <laughs> they tried. I mean, it's they a tried. Bunch, bunch of nice, uh, nice tunes there. <laughs> but um, speaking of tunes, I, I, I remember when I was rat packing it for a while. I do. I decided that really wasn't working because mm. I, I, the mic was drifting farther and farther away. I was getting too, I was getting too frank about it. You know, I, when, I, when I say frank, I don't you mean weren't too earnest. Sammy? I mean, I was, yeah, I was too frank and Sammy. You know? Yeah, a little too frank, a little too and, much and Sammy. Maybe, maybe kind of Dean almost. Mm. So I'm not rat packing it with the mic. A totally different, a totally little aside. I should make a concept album about holding the mic. Yeah, I was like, it. whoa. I mean, it makes more sense than Tommy. You know? uh, so, well, since uh, you got to name a couple of concept albums that maybe didn't make the cut, maybe were more clear cut <laughs> than others. And uh, we have a few of our own, and I'm sure you have some out there. If you want to share them with us, you can. But since we've wrapped up this topic, I guess that only leaves for you to say, let's fly this coop. <laughs> This has been Birds of a Feather on What the Flock Radio.